Hebrews chapter 7, verse uh, 23 to 25, uh, week 29 in the book of Hebrews. Here is what the author of Hebrews has been saying. Um, Hebrews 7, 23 to 25. And there were many priests, uh, because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercessions for them. Amen? Can we read that last verse together? It's just so powerful. Therefore, he is able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercessions for them. So we've been talking about the book of Hebrews now for almost 29 weeks. And again, the point of that book is the author of Hebrews wrote this letter to people who were Jews at some point, and they became Christian, and he's warning them never to go back to Judaism. And the first 10 chapters, he's emphasizing the superiority of Christ. Therefore, by default, don't leave what is superior to go to what is inferior. In chapter 7, where we at right now, Jesus, the, the author of Hebrews is emphasizing uh, how Jesus is a superior high priest than the high priest of the Old Testament. Again, the concept of the high priest is absolutely essential in the Old Testament. The high priest is the one who performed the atonement to cover the sins of the people and bring sinful men to a holy God. But not only that, the high priest also is the one who brings the service of God and the commandments of God and the law of God to the people. He teaches them all the commandments of God. And in an essence, the high priest brings God to the people as well. So the concept of the high priest is absolutely essential in the mindset of the readers of the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus, just like the high priest of the Old Testament, Jesus is also our high priest, but he is a far more superior and far much better high priest. Um, throughout chapter 5, all the way till chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, he's arguing the superiority of the person of Christ as our high priest. And the main text foundation that the author of Hebrews is leaning on for the most part of these three chapters is Psalm 110 verse 4. You guys follow me so far? The Lord has sworn and shall not relent. You are a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That is his um, background. He always go back to that verse and emphasize one portion or another of that verse. As a matter of fact, I think next week we're going to finish chapter 7. And then the week after, I'm going to take a whole week just to show you how the author of Hebrews used Psalm 110 verse 4 in these three chapters. Because it's just so amazing. So, um, again, that's his text. That's the, the, the scripture in the Old Testament that he kept on preaching throughout these three chapters. The passage that we, uh, in chapter 7... The author of Hebrews started by, uh, first of all, he is saying that Jesus is a, a superior high priest because he is on the order of Melchizedek. And he pretty much spent the first 20 verses teaching us what that means. He told us that Jesus has a higher order than Aaron because Melchizedek is higher than Aaron. And Jesus has a different order, different priesthood than that of Aaron. The priesthood of Aaron brought us the law, but the priesthood of Christ brought us the grace of God. Amen? Amen. 
Last week we have seen that Jesus is a superior high priest because he was appointed by oath. Today we're going to see that Jesus is a superior high priest because he continues forever. He is eternal, unlike the, the high priests of Old Testament that he says here in verse 23, they were prevented by death from continuing. Such an amazing wording, right? Instead of saying they died, he said death preventing their ministry from continuing because 80 years down the road, they dropped dead, every, every single one of them. Amen? Jesus is not like that. Because he continues forever, he has unchangeable priesthood in comparison to the changeable priesthood of the high priests of the Old Testament. Amen? Amen. And that's the point of these three verses. Jesus is a superior high priest because he's eternal, but none of the high priests in the Old Testament was eternal. They're all eternal. They were all temporal, and they all vanished and died after their ministry for a few decades. Now, the concept here, the, the, the underlying message, again, he's comparing the many priests, high priests of the Old Testament compared to the one high priest in the New Testament, right? And we have seen this before. The author of Hebrews uses that a lot, actually, in his book where he could say that many means inefficient, uh, ineffective, but one means effective, one means efficient, one means superior. Actually, this is how he started the whole book. He said that God, who times past spoke to us in different ways through the prophets, has in these last days spoke to us in his son. So in a way he's saying, in the Old Testament there was many ways, many prophets, uh, various methods, but in the New Testament there is only one way through which God spoke, and that's his son. So again we see that many implies ineffective, inefficient, but one implies efficiency and effectiveness. We see that later on, we're going to see in, in chapter 9, verse 24 to 28, he see how the high priest would enter into, like many high priests, enter into the, the Holy of Holies. But in the New Testament, there is only one high priest who entered once into the presence of God, and that is Jesus. We continue to chapter 10, verse 1 to 4. We're going to see that there were many sacrifices under the Old Testament, but there is only one sacrifice under the New Testament. You guys are with me? So the concept, Wayne, Wayne, if you don't mind, make sure everybody has notes so people can follow with me. Uh, the concept, again, over and over and over again is that many means inefficient, but one means efficient. And we see the same concept here. In Hebrews 7, 23 to 25, many high priests in the Old Testament because they were inefficient, but only one high priest in the New Testament because he is efficient. Amen? Now, we move on, and we see that this portion, the author of Hebrews is focusing on one word in Psalm 110, verse 4. The word forever. The Lord has sworn and shall not relent. You are a high priest Forever. That's the word that the author of Hebrews is expounding on here in verses 23 to verse 25. Now, we usually just dig into the text and break it down into pieces, and that's what we're going to do today. But I'm going to use that text as a, a, an excuse to look at the broader picture of, of the intercessory ministry of Christ throughout the scripture. Amen? It's so good. 
this, I, I read this article about the intercessory ministry of Christ, and that guy was absolutely amazing, uh, Philip Hughes. And he's just pointed to, in the Old Testament, both in Exodus 28 and in Exodus 39, Exodus 28 and Exodus 39, we read about the, the, the clothes that the high priest of the Old Testament would wear. And part of the clothes that he would wear is that there will be two onyx stones on his shoulders, and he has to engrave the names of the tribes of Israel on these stones on his shoulder. So six names on one shoulder and six names on the other shoulder. And the breastplate that the high priest would wear, and this is the clothes that he wear when he entered into the Holy of Holies once a year to atone for his people. The breastplate that he's wearing has actually 12 stones, and each one of these stones has a name of the tribe of the children of Israel. And every time the high priest enter into the Holy of Holies once a year, the Day of Atonement, he will have the names of the children of Israel engraved both on his shoulder, on the stones on his shoulder, and on the stone of his chest. And this is such a vivid picture of how Jesus, as our high priest who entered into the heavenly places, the Holy of Holies, and he represented us as our intercessor before God who is our Father. Amen? And there's the similarity is unbelievable. Number one, the high priest has the, the actual names engraved. And guess what Jesus said about us in, in John chapter 10, verse 3 and verse 13. He said, I know my sheep by their name. Amen? And, and, and the point is when the high priest would enter into, into the Holy of Holies once a year, he's not just interceding for the nation as a whole, which he does, but he's interceding for every single tribe by its name and by its needs. Amen? And that's what, in an essence, Jesus is doing right now. He's not just praying for Franconia Community Church. He's praying for Barb. When you were traveling, he's like, Father, keep her safe. He's praying when, uh, when Justina had a has a need, financial need for the orphanage. He's praying specifically for the need that Justina has, and he's interceding on her behalf by name before the Father. Amen? He's not just praying for his church in general, which he does. He's praying for each one of his saints by name. We have seen that when Jesus interceded for Peter when he, during his earthly ministry, Jesus, Peter was about to be tempted. And what did Jesus say? I have prayed for you, not just for the disciples in general, which he does, but specifically for you and for your specific situation. Amen? The high priest will represent his people by name, and Jesus is interceding on our behalf in the heavenly places by name. Think about that. You are so important. You are so valuable that he is praying for you by name. Amen? But number two, the names are engraved on the shoulder. The shoulder in the scripture always represents strength. We read in Isaiah chapter 9 that when the, the Messiah comes, his government, the government will be on his shoulder. Because the shoulder represents power, represents strength. Amen? 
And that's how Jesus also intercedes for us. Jesus is not just interceding for us, but he's also, the author of Hebrews told us, he's able to aid those who are in need. Amen? Yes, he is our high priest. Yes, he is interceding for us. But yet, he can sustain us with his power, and he can intervene, and he can give aid to your specific need, to your specific situation, and get you out of your trouble. Amen? So he intercedes for us by name, but he also intercedes for us on his shoulder, the strength and the power that he supplies to us as our high priest. And not only that, but the names were also engraved on the stones of the high priest's chest, right? Close to his heart, where his compassion and his mercy is. Amen? And isn't that precisely how Jesus intercedes for us? That's precisely what the author of Hebrews has said in Hebrews chapter 2. That Jesus must be made like his brethren in every way so that he can be a what? If you remember, a merciful high priest in things Absolutely, merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. So merciful, the chest, the names on the chest represent that the names are close to his heart. And this is precisely how Jesus intercedes for us. Amen? He intercedes by name. He gives us aid because we're on his shoulder and we're close to his heart. We're engraved in his heart. That's why he is compassionate for us. And he just gives us grace and mercy all the time. Isn't that absolutely amazingly powerful? That's awesome. God's word is so deep. It's just so amazing. Who would read that passage in Exodus or whatever and see all this type and all these amazing, um, amazing, amazing, powerful messages that God has engraved even in his word in the Old Testament. Amen? Amen. Now, let's look at the broader picture of, of, of the ministry of Christ as our intercessor because that's really the point of our passage here. Jesus started his intercessory ministry even before his ascension to heaven, right? In, in John 17, the whole chapter is just Jesus' intercessory prayer for his disciples. And the author of Hebrews already told us in Hebrews 6.20 that Jesus has entered into the heavenly places for us. For you and for me, not just as our forerunner to open the door, but also as our representative for us, so he can always intercede for us. Now, there's seven ways we're going to look at how Jesus intercedes for us. Number one, Jesus intercedes eternally. Number two, Jesus intercedes salvifically. I promise you it's a word. <laughs> uh, I just wanted all my uh, seven points to rhyme. That's why. It's a word. It literally means in relation to salvation. Something has to do with salvation. So if you've been praying today and you wait to church or before saying, God, I want to learn something new at church today. Here is your answer to prayer. Amen. <laughs> Jesus intercedes uh, eternally. Jesus intercedes salvifically in relation to our salvation. Jesus intercedes exclusively. Jesus intercedes uh, compassionately. Jesus intercedes powerfully. Jesus intercedes defensively. And Jesus intercedes proactively. Amen? These are the seven different scriptures. We're going to see many of it here in our text. But we're going to go to the broader context as well of the scripture, how Jesus intercedes for us. Number one, Jesus intercedes eternally. That is the point of our passage. That's why he's a far much better high priest, because he continues forever. Every high priest in the Old Testament will intercede for a few decades, and then they are prevented by death from continuing. Amen? 
But isn't that awesome that our high priest is not like that? Death can never prevent him from continuing to be our high priest. Amen? Because Jesus has conquered death once and for all, and now he continues forever. And because he always lives, his priesthoods will never change, unlike the high priest of the Old Testament. Amen? When the author of Hebrews said that Jesus, he is our high priest and he continues forever. That concept right here kind of goes two ways. Number one, the author of Hebrews in a way is implying that Jesus has the exact same life of God. Because there is only one person who is eternal in the scripture, self-existing, eternal, and that's God. In Daniel 6, 27, we read this, God continuing and living from generation to generation forevermore. So that exact same description that the author of Hebrews used to describe the ministry of Christ has been used in the Old Testament to describe the life of God. And by saying that Jesus continues forever, the author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus shared that kind of life with the Father. But number two, when he says he continues forever, he also brings our attention to Psalm 110 verse 4. Jesus is a high priest on the order of Melchizedek and the word says, The Lord has sworn and shall not relent. You are a high priest for how long? Forever on the order of Melchizedek. Remember Melchizedek, when we started in chapter 7, the Bible says that he has no father, no mother, no beginning of time, no end of time. He popped out of nowhere and he ended up nowhere, right? He just, just made as a type of Christ. And that's precisely what the author of Hebrews is telling us here. He's saying just like Melchizedek who symbolically was eternal, Jesus is literally eternal high priest. Amen? Because Jesus continues forever, the result of that, he has an unchangeable priesthood. He just told us earlier that this is because of the virtue of his indestructible life. Death cannot destroy his life. Therefore, his priesthood will never be changed. Amen? Think about it. Think about it. That kind of ministry and intercession that Jesus is doing for you will never change. Your times will be changed. You might have good times, you might have bad times. You might have good days, you might have bad days. You might have good days that you never sin, and you might have bad days that you mess it up big time. Regardless of who you are, what you do, what future and tomorrow has for you, the priesthood of Christ and the way he cries out to you will never change change. His priesthood is unchangeable. Amen? Isn't that just something we can all rest in today? Regardless of how bad we mess it up so many times, and we do mess it up. Amen? Jesus will never change. He always lives to offer intercession for us. He always lives. You know what that means? You, there will never be a time, there will never be a period, there will never be a minute when your sins is not going to be covered by the intercessions of Christ. Amen? There will be never a time when you're going through a hard situation when Jesus is not alive at the right hand of majesty making intercession for your behalf and for my behalf by name. Amen? We have a great high priest, don't we? He is a great high priest. Number two, Jesus intervened salvifically. He intervened in relationship to our salvation or how we can be saved. That's what the author of Hebrews told us. Because he continues forever, he's able to do what? 
to save to the utmost those who come to God through him. How? How is Jesus saving to the utmost? Because he is making intercessions for them. You guys are with me? So in a way, the author of Hebrews is linking the, the intercession of Christ at the right hand of majesty to our salvation that it should be accomplished to the end. Amen? Again, that article I was reading, this guy, I'm just going to read his word here. It's so powerful. First paragraph in that second point, it says this. It is generally acknowledged that sinners could not be saved without the death of Christ. And we preach that all the time. But that believers could not be saved without, without the life of Christ following it is not so much considered. Isn't that so true? We do preach a lot about the death of Jesus, and that's absolutely foundational in our relationship with God. Without it, there's no way we can be made right with God. But it is the life of Christ on the right hand of majesty interceding for us. This is what's going to bring our salvation to a completion. He's able to save to the utmost because he is at the right hand of majesty interceding for us. That's pretty much what Paul told us in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. He says this, For if when we were enemies, sinners, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, now that we are children of God, we shall be saved. How? By, by his life. We shall be saved by his life. That verse always confused me a little bit because I wasn't sure is it, are we saved by his life in us or are we saved by his life for us in heaven? And I always didn't know what he's referring to. I think both are true, but I think to say that we are saved by his life at the right hand of majesty, making intercession for us is absolutely biblical. That's what the author of Hebrews was telling us. Amen? And Jesus is not able to save 50%, and then you have to pick it up the rest of the way. He is able to save for how much? To the utmost, to the absolute end, those who come to God through him, for he lives forever to make intercession for them. Amen? Jesus at the right hand of majesty, and the verb that the author of Hebrews used, he's able to save, is actually present tense. It's not past tense, it's not future tense. It is present tense. That means... It doesn't matter what kind of moment that comes your way. Jesus is present right now at the right hand of majesty so he can make intercession for the present time that you're going through. Isn't that such an amazing high priest? Amen? He's always present at the right of hand of God to, to make intercessions for us. In a way, how the intercession of Christ is absolutely essential to our salvation. Also, Paul touched base on that in Romans 8, 34 to 30, uh, 33 to 34. He said this, Who will be the accusers of God? This is from the NEB translation. Who will be the accuser of God's chosen one? Will it be God himself? No. He's the one who has pronounced us acquittal. He, God justified us. He cannot condemn us. And then it uh, judge us. And then it says, who will be the judge to condemn? Will it be Christ? Well, he's the judge. We know that for sure. But look at this. This is who our judge is. He is the one who died. And more than that, he was raised from the dead. Who is at the right, who is at the right hand, right, who is at God's right hand. No, he is. He it is who pleads for us. Yes, it is him who intercedes for us. In other words, what Paul is saying here is this. Who's the one who's going to judge us? Who's going to be our judge? It is Jesus who died, who rose again, who's interceding for us. Amen? Who's 
right now being our defense attorney in an, in an essence, right? So here is what Paul is saying. If, if, if I am in trouble with the law, if I am in trouble with the law, and I have a court date, and I'm going to stand before the judge, and the judge is my defense lawyer, should I be in too much trouble? Not at all, right? If the judge is your defense lawyer who's trying to get you out of it, I won't worry so much about it, right? And that's precisely what Paul is telling us here. The judge to whom we're going to stand one day and give an account to is our defense attorney who is, we seen last week, our guarantor, the one who's legally obligated to get us out of God's judgment that we deserve. Amen? Jesus intercedes eternally. Jesus intercedes salvifically in relation to our salvation. But Jesus intercedes exclusively. He's the only intercessor at the right hand of God. The scripture says because he lives forever, he's able to, to save those who come close to God or draw close to God. Right? Right? Nope. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that because he lives forever, he's able to save those who come to God. Right? says he's able to save those who come to God through him. Now, if you try to come close to God apart from Jesus, I have bad news for you. It ain't going to work. Right? You have to approach God through him. He is a great high priest, but not for the whole wide world. He's a great high priest to only those who come to God through him. Because he's the only high priest who can stand before God and intercedes for us. Amen? I just wrote it here. Jesus intercedes exclusively for those who come to God through him. Because there is no other way to God except through him. You guys are with me? Paul told us in 1 Timothy 2 and 5, For there is one God, the Father, and one mediator. How many mediators? One. Just one. Between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. He's the only person who can assume that middleman responsibility between holy God and sinful man. Amen? There's no other way to God except through Jesus. Too bad if you're trying to get to God any other way. He is interceding on our behalf exclusively. But number four, he's interceding on our behalf compassionately. Right? We've seen that in the, in, in, in the high priest, Old Testament high priest picture when the stones are engraved on, um, on the chest. But we have seen also throughout the book of Hebrews a couple of times that Jesus is, was tempted like us in every way. That's what the author of Hebrews said in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, right? Jesus was tempted like us in every possible way, yet without sin. So when Jesus intercedes for, I'm going to pick up on Justina again. Uh, let's say the orphanage need money and Jesus is interceding for that. Guess what? Jesus was there. He was in the morning preaching and going everywhere and at the end of the night he doesn't have a place to lay his hand he knew what it means to be in financial need one person came to him and said I'll follow you wherever you go and he said foxes has holes the birds of heaven have nests but the son of man doesn't even have a place to lay down his head amen so when Jesus intercedes for us He's not just interceding out of general knowledge of what we're telling him, what we feel. He's interceding because he exactly experienced the exact same feeling that we are going through. Amen? Yeah. 
And isn't that a far more effective intercession when you cry out to God or pray to God just like Jesus, when you actually have been in that place and when you actually experienced it and you know exactly what it means and how precisely you can pray and how much it actually hurts. When you know all this stuff, don't you think that your prayer will be a whole lot more effective when you intercede on behalf of somebody else? Right? And that's how Jesus intercedes for us. When, like, if you experience the loss, if you go to console a friend who experienced a loss of loved ones, and you've never been in that place before, which is obviously an awful place, you can see how much pain they're going through. And you definitely sympathize. There's no question about it. But if you have been in their place before, if you yourself has experienced the loss of loved ones, that experience that you're seeing from them and hearing from them has a whole new meaning to you because you have been through that pain and you know exactly how it feels, right? And because you've been through that, you know precisely how to help that person even more than if you've never been through that situation. Amen? And this is our high priest. He's not a high priest who's not touched by our weakness, who's not tempted just like us. He's been through every single problem you've ever been through, and that's how he intercedes. He intercedes compassionately. Amen? But number three, he intercedes powerfully. Amen? We've seen that picture in the Old Testament, how the high priest will have the names engraved on his shoulder. This week, um, or last couple of weeks, I had a friend of mine who's... um, having trouble in his relationship and he's a close friend of mine and he talks to me and shares with me what's going on and my heart goes out to him and I truly feel bad for him and I wish I just can do something to help him out of that situation but guess what can I do as far as as far as my ability are concerned I just try to listen to him and say I'm sorry man I'm sorry there is nothing I can do to help you out here right I wish I can help you, but there is nothing in my ability to get you out of that situation. I'm just going to pray for you, and I do. You guys see what I'm trying to say here? I sympathize with him, but I am unable to help him. Amen? Aren't you glad that our high priest is not like that? Aren't you glad that our high priest is not just touched by our weakness, sympathize with our weakness, but then at the end of the day, he's just as powerless as you and me? He feels our pain, but he can do nothing about it, right? That would be a bad situation, but that's not our high priest. Yes, our high priest intercedes compassionately, but he also intercedes powerfully, amen? He he is able to aid those who are in need, and in Hebrews chapter 4, the author of Hebrews tells us, because we have such a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, let's come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because if we do so, we're going to obtain mercy and find grace to help in that time of need. Amen? It's because our high priest intercedes powerfully and able to help us. It doesn't matter what your situation is when you come to him. He will give you mercy and he will give you grace to help in that time of need. Amen? Let's go over this real quick. Make sure you follow me. He intercedes eternally. Next week we're going to have a pop quiz. Everyone's going to have a piece of paper and uh, write the seven reasons, uh, seven ways. He intercedes eternally. He intercedes salvifically or in terms of salvation. He intercedes exclusively. He intercedes compassionately. He intercedes powerfully. But he intercedes defensively. Amen? And first John 2, 1, John tells us this, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. 
As a child of God, sin is not the pattern, is not the way you live our life. It's just the exception to the rule, not the way you live your life. Amen? He said, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if and when it will, you will sin. You fall in the act of sin, not the life of sin. And if anyone sin, guess what? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The word advocate here in Greek is parakletos. We heard that word before in John 16. When Jesus said he'll go to heaven and he will send us a parakletos, the Holy Spirit, right? It literally means the one who's by your side. The one who can come to your help whenever you need it. It's a comforter. It's an advocate. It's a help. It has all these meanings together. Amen? Amen? Think about that. Think about that. We have a parakletos inside of us, the Holy Spirit. And we have another parakletos at the right hand of majesty interceding for us. Amen? We're well taken care of. Amen? Amen. Now, the word here also can imply the idea of a defense attorney. Not just somebody who comfort and help and aid, which it, it does include all of that. But it also have the idea of a defense attorney. And I think that's the idea here that John was telling us. Jesus is your defense attorney in the court of heaven. Amen? Yes, God might be the judge, but I tell you, you have the best lawyer who can represent you before God. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous himself. Amen? You can't find any better lawyer than this. Amen? Jesus intercedes whenever you sin, whenever you fall, whenever you're going through a hard time. Jesus is your defense attorney before God. And just plead your case with God and, and ask that God will give you the mercy and grace that you need to get out of that situation. Amen? Jesus intercedes defensively, but not lastly, obviously not least, Jesus intercedes proactively. And this is awesome. Remember the story of Peter that we read in Luke 22, 31 to 32? Jesus was about to be crucified, and Jesus knew that Peter would be tempted to deny him. And what, would Jesus, what did Jesus tell him before what happened? You guys are with me? This was before Peter actually denied Jesus and entered into that hard time. Jesus told him this, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again as absolutely his intercessory prayer will guarantee you and me that we will be restored. Strengthen your brethren. Jesus did not intercede for Peter reactively. Jesus interceded on behalf of Peter proactively. Think about that. Think about that. Jesus knows that in a week or two from now, you're going to go through a hard time. You're going to might experience some bad situation. And he has already been praying for you. So this way, when that situation happens, it will not going to deplete you and you will eventually be restored. By name, compassionately, and powerfully, and eternally, and exclusively, and defensively. Isn't that just amazing? We have such an amazing high priest. Amen? Amen? I don't know about you. I will go home so happy, so rested today because I know I have the best, the best defense attorney at the right hand of majesty on high. Amen? Amen. Let me just close with this thought. Um, um, in Egypt, where I grew up, one of the best preachers I've ever heard preaching is... Um, I'm not sure if he's even there still, but he's the president of, or the superintendent or whatever of the United Methodist or the Methodist denomination in Egypt. 
I remember listening to this guy's sermon when I was like in high school and college and stuff like that. And um, up till today, remember, think about that, high school or college, God knows, God only knows how long ago is that. Up till today, um, I still remember, let me take this out, I still remember like phrases that he said in his sermon, like the actual phrases that he said, and I can think about paragraphs that I heard in high school and college that he preached. This guy, I have not to see, uh, sorry to say this, an American preacher who preached 50% as good as he did. The anointing of God, the way he would expose the scripture, is, is, it's, it's, I don't know, 20 years later, I still remember some of the stuff he would say because just, wow, it just blows your mind away when you hear it. And this, you know that God is speaking to you when you hear that stuff. Anyways, he was talking about that story in the scripture when Jesus commanded the disciples to jump in the boat and cross the lake. And the Bible said that Jesus went praying uh, on the mountain. And then the storm came. And then in the fourth quarter, Jesus came walking on the water. Peter said, if you're him, command me to come to you. And uh, Peter did. You guys know the story. He was about to fall and sink. And then Jesus stretched out his arm and held him up and took him to the boat, if you remember that story. Anyways, um, so he was saying, obviously, there's no scripture for it, but he was arguing in his sermon that when Jesus went up to the mountain, he could see the disciples because the mountain and the lake, obviously, they're not very far away. He sent them to the lake and he went to the mountain. So it seems like it's in the same vicinity. And he was telling, like, in his sermon, he was arguing how he kind of, obviously, no scripture for it, but he, can, he says that Jesus could see the disciples throughout their struggle and he waited for them the whole night and then he came walking on the fourth quarter. And then he would say to his people when he was preaching how he had no doubt in his mind that when Jesus was praying that night on the mountain, he was praying for the disciples who were struggling in the lake. And I can totally see that, definitely, no question about it. And then he closed with that phrase that I will never forget. And he said this. He said, if you're like the disciples in a hard situation where everything is going against you, don't look at the hands that are risen against you. Look at the hands that are risen for you. You guys are with me? When you're in a hard situation like this, when you're like the disciples where everything is going wrong and life is just raging against you and you're all what you see is, we're going to die. There's no question about it. Even Jesus himself is not with us. God knows where he's at. He's in the mountain somewhere. He's not even aware. When life gets so hard like this and it's too tough, don't look at the hands that are risen against you to bring you down and destroy you. Look at the hands of Jesus that are risen for you at the right hand of majesty on high. Amen? Amen? Let's close our eyes and pray. I don't know about you, but 